Hey, welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank here. Mike is back at Mile High working the counter. You guys have any technical questions, anything like that, you want to get a hold of Mike over at 303-255-9999. He's the guy to ask when it comes to the technical questions. A good example is uh, I take a look at the Leopold, the or Leopold, the Mark V that they have, the new one, and somebody had asked me about the reticle, and I was couldn't remember, you know, it was a TMR, I knew that, but I couldn't remember if it had a floating dot or not, because I guess there's a variant with a floating dot, and so if you have one of those kind of questions, you call Mike up and you say, hey, what does this have, or hey, what's the torque value for this, or, you know, if I get this scope, what reticle, and et cetera, et cetera, Mike's the guy to talk to the, for that kind of stuff especially when it comes to retail situations. I get a lot of people ask me about retail and I'm j- I'm not the guy. So give Mike a call. If you got that technical retail question, anything like that, or I mean, you know, he's out shooting. He, he He's a, he's an end user too. So y- he's the, definitely the guy to go to when, in terms of where your budget happens to fall in the different, uh, uh, options that are available, things like that. This is a funny thing. This this is my fourth time trying to get this podcast right. Uh, started last night and then this morning. I just keep screwing this damn lesson up, and I I don't know what what the problem is. Uh, you know, little little bit of a head thing going on or something. It just keeps messing with me. But I want to jump right into the lesson. Uh, beginning of the week here, and it's something I can get. In depth, this is going to be a multi-part discussion, but we're going to talk the wind. A lot of people have been asking, a lot of people have been posting online, hey, how do I manage the wind? What do I got to do with the wind? And wind is the great equalizer. Wind is really what we're trying to manage more so than the range to the target. It's more about the wind that we need to hit that target. So I want to go over some of my methods, some of my thinking behind the wind. In terms of long-range shooting, wind is our biggest variable. Once we've established our dope, we know what our drop is, we, you know, we understand the conditions that control what our elevation has to be dialed on for that particular target. Really, it comes down to managing the wind. So I break that down into two departments, okay? You have the science department and you have the art department. So that's how we're going to look at this and let's try to get everybody on the same page with Frank's discussion here. So what's the goal of the precision rifle shooter when it comes to engaging the wind? And our goal is to read the wind to within better than one mile an hour across the entire flight of the bullet. Now, I'll say right off the bat, that's near impossible. You know, the wind does not move in a straight line. Wind does not move at a constant value. So to, if you have a thousand yard shot, and understand in this discussion, we're all talking about inside a thousand yards, supersonic flight. We're not talking transonic or ELR. This is strictly... You're shooting your 6.5 Creed more to 1,000 yards, and we're talking wind, okay? So we need to read the wind to within better one mile an hour. And that's where the science department comes in because it's the only place you can read the wind to better than one mile an hour. And that begins with you. 
that's where you're standing with something like a Kestrel weather meter, which for case of the science department is our scientific tool. It's our scientific instrument to read the wind, the weather meter. And we're standing there on the range or in the field and we're holding a wind meter up and we're reading the wind to better than one mile an hour. Now, when I'm talking some of these numbers, I'm going to be a little bit more general. And what, what I want you to understand is you can round these numbers off. The Kestrel will break it down into fractions of, of a mile per hour, but I'm only talking whole numbers right now. This is introduction to wind, you know, that kind of thing. And the science department sort of an, answers the question, what's the most important wind? And really, it's wind at the shooter because everything begins and ends with you. You're the starting point for all this. And by that, I mean, I get up in the morning, I load my vehicle, and I'm going to drive to the range. I'm out on Highway 76 there, and I'm looking at wind indicators as I'm taking that ride out towards Fort Morgan. When I get about 15 minutes out of Fort Morgan, there's a windsock on the highway. There's high wind advisory signs, all this kind of stuff, because as we mentioned before, the wind out here can be pretty strong. You know, you talk about Wyoming where it knocks over tractor trailers. Here it's constantly knocking over campers and different things. We see the tumbleweeds that are uh, blowing across. You know, they'll line up, they'll not line up, but they'll stack up against the barbed wire fence. They'll come across the highway, the whole thing. So I'm looking at all that as I'm driving into the range. When I get about three miles from the range, there's another wind indicator. I have a regional airport out here and there's another windsock. I can see what that windsock is looking like because now I'm getting really close to my range. So I want to see what that wind is doing. A quick little story when I was going to do that with or, or the video, that's the Ruger versus the Accuracy International. I had actually left Denver with the intention of shooting the Ruger 6.5 Creed to one mile. And, you know, no wind in, in downtown Denver, the whole thing. I, I'm coming out and it's starting to build up. It's starting to build up. I'm looking at these wind socks and the wind's getting stronger. Well, when I showed up on the range, I had 18 mile an hour winds now. No way I'm going to take a 6.5 Creed more to a mile and an 18 mile an hour wind and put it on video and make it look good. So I break out the Accuracy International. I do the Mad Minute at 450 yards instead of trying to throw rounds at a mile. And that's the kind of thing I'm looking at. But as soon as you get out of your car, you start looking at the wind. And why is that? Well, we're trying to tune our senses to what we see, feel, and hear. Okay, because that's what we're using to gauge the wind absent of a wind meter. We use our senses. We see what the wind's doing to objects around us. We feel it on our body. And we hear it, especially if we're using amplified uh, air protection, we can hear the highs and the lows in the, hair, in the air protection. So what we want to do next is we want to start fine-tuning our senses to be a better wind reader. And how we do that is using that Kestrel wind meter. And I'm a huge advocate of the Kestrel wind meters. You don't have to buy the most expensive ones with the software. Uh, some people are getting a little bit of software overload because, you know, you got your SIG AB2400. It's got software in it. Your phone's got software in it. Your Kestrel's got software in it. Now you want to get a Garmin with Kestrel, with software in it. 
So all these things are running the same piece of software, and do we really need that many pieces of software? Uh, not really. I tend to think the Kestrel with the software is that one good piece of equipment that you can get. Uh, if you're only going to have one, I'd rather you have a Kestrel on the line than your phone on the line. You know, to me, the phones are are not field worthy in a lot of ways. So what I'll recommend to people to do is even if they're home, even if they're walking the dog, they're out with the wife at the park, bring a weather meter with you and look at these conditions, see it, feel it, hear it, and then say, I think the wind is six miles an hour. Pull out your Kestrel weather meter and read the wind. You're going to see a pattern appear. You're either going to be pretty darn good in close to getting that number right, or maybe you're overestimating it, maybe you're underestimating it, whatever the case will be, a pattern will begin to appear. And as you move around, change locations, look at indicators a different way, you, you want to back up and kind of build that personal database by saying, I think the wind is doing this, then going and reading it with the Kestrel weather meter. That's the best way to start fine-tuning your senses to what is going on out there. And this is all part of that science department because you are the scientist right now. You're measuring it with a meter and you're looking at it. The next thing we're going to look at is the art department. And what the art department is, is everything else downrange. And why I call it the art department is because it's subjective. It's going to a museum and five of us looking at a Picasso and asked to write an essay about it. Nobody's going to see the same thing the same way. So what we have is a subjective interpretation of what we see, feel, and hear. And we're trying to extend our predictions downrange as far as we can. Now, the more experience you get, the more accurate your predictions are, the farther away from you they'll, they'll be. So... You know, a new shooter might be accurate to three, four hundred yards, a, a better shooter to six, eight hundred yards, and an even better shooter to a thousand plus. And so that's where the art department comes in, that we have to then take what we see out there and try to give it a value that'll work for us to hit the target. Another tool for the precision rifle shooter that I feel needs to be corrected is the wind rose. The clock system that we use to understand what direction the wind's coming from. Okay, everybody knows the clock system. We got 12 o'clock's our headwind, 6 o'clock is our tailwind, and your 3 and 9 o'clock are our full value winds. Where the problem comes in is when someone says, I think that's a half value wind. Because of the verbiage that we're using, People will then say, well, gee, if my full value wind is one mil, my half value must be a half mil. Well, that's not correct. Okay, that's wrong. That's just a way of saying it's halfway between full and nothing. It's half the distance. It's not half the value. A true half value wind is actually a three quarter hold versus a full. So if we're holding one mil of wind with a full value, a half value wind would be a 0.75 mil hold. So don't fall into that trap of thinking because someone says it's a half value, it's half the full value that you would normally use. I guess is the only other weird way to put that. 
a quartering wind, if the wind is coming in quartering, that becomes half of a full value. So a lot of people will underestimate the wind or underhold the wind because they're, they're using that verbiage and they don't understand that that verbiage is incorrect. It's really just telling you a distance and not giving you a correction. So go out there and take a look at some of the, the new enhanced wind roses. I have one on Sniper's Hide uh, is so you understand what the actual value is. It's actually like 0.77 and it goes from you know 0.77 all the way down to half value and less. But the old clocks that just show full half and no are bad. They're wrong. Get rid of them. Next, we need to talk the wind zones, right? So we got three wind zones that we're working with. We got wind at the shooter. That's where you're standing. We got wind mid-range. And then we got wind at the target. And we want to break down the pros and cons for each of those because different groups and different people use each one to varying degrees of success. So we want to take best practices from each one of those groups and use them to our advantage. Tools in the toolbox, right? So if a guy who's a high power shooter who says, I'm using wind mid-range and I read the Mirage and I'm doing all these things, he has valid points under the context of what he's doing. But if we say, well, hey, I'm a field shooter and I'm going to use, you know, wind at me or wind at the target because I'm in a wind shadow and I, I can't read the wind where I'm at. I'm in a building back in, 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 the, in the shadows and stuff. I can't stick my arm out the window and read the wind. So now I have to read things like wind at the target, right? Because that's where my focus is. So let's look at each one of these uh, wind zones. First one up is wind at the shooter. Well, wind at the shooter is the foundation for all wind calls, okay? It's the only place we can read it to better than one mile an hour, and it all has to start somewhere, and that starts with us. So, you know, other than the caveats I spoke about where you you might be in a wind shadow of some kind where you can't read the wind, our first option is to read wind at the shooter because it has the longest time of flight soon as the bullet comes out of the bore and when it impact, it's getting impacted by the wind and it's blown off course, it stays off course, right? So it has the longest time of flight. And because shooting is angular, as it drifts off course, it continues to drift off course. And by the time we get to a thousand yards, it's been blown off the most that it can be blown off because it started immediately. So that's why we want to manage wind at the shooter as much as we can because it has the biggest effect, okay? Wind mid-range is good for establishing an average. It works best on a square range where you don't have terrain and obstacles and things in your way. And what they'll mainly do with mid-range wind is read mirage. So they're using a spotting scope. They have your spotting scope on your target you're going to dial back your focus about a quarter turn back towards you. So that way you're reading Mirage between you and the target. And that's going to give them that average wind speed that they're looking for. Now I'm going to get into Mirage a little bit later because there's some pros and cons with working with Mirage. But wind mid-range on a square range is where they're using Mirage the most. The other thing we need to talk about at mid-range wind is max ordinate. Now, that's the maximum height the bullet's going to rise above the line of sight before it starts coming down, okay? So 
for a thousand yard shot, that's in again rounded, that's about 600 yards out. So the bullet rises up and with a 308 at a thousand yards, we're looking at about 15 feet above the line of sight and then it's going to come back down. So one of the reasons why we want to look at things like mid-range wind is that max ordinate. We got to keep that in our head and we got to think about that bullet up in the air there because it doesn't shoot across the ground. It's not shooting across the grass. It's going up and over, correct? So it's going to pick up a higher wind velocity up in the air versus down where the ground is resisting the wind and slowing it down a bit. So that's something we need to think about. Last wind zone is wind at the target. It's the most difficult to read because it's the farthest away. It has the shortest time of flight, okay? So it, it, it has the least effect in terms of time of flight, but it's where our final focus is, okay? It's where we're looking through the scope at the target and we can see the wind indicators around the target. So those are really, really useful, right? When we're looking at those indicators downrange, we might want to fine-tune our adjustment a little bit. A good example I like to use is if you're shooting on a, a like a regular F-class range, a square range, and it has big berm behind it, number blocks, berms, all that stuff. Firing line goes hot and everybody starts shooting. And what happens downrange is there's this giant wall of dirt and dust that's getting thrown up from all the impacts, Okay. Well, I won't be that first guy that shoots. I want to see what that dust is doing, and I'm going to gauge that because that's where my final focus is. I can see all that dirt and debris flying up in the air and moving around in the wind because that's where I'm looking. So that that's something to think about. Now, we're going to get some guys out there that, well, what about the bullet slowing down? And, you know, it's, it's, it's going slower than it is at the shooter. And, yeah, it's still supersonic. Okay, we're still talking supersonic flight here. So while it is slowing down, it's not necessarily that slow. And like I talk, uh, spoke about, it's the shortest time of flight. So the wind doesn't have very long to work on it. The other thing that you have to take into account with that as well is gravity. Okay, max ord, right? 600 yards, the bullet goes up. It's 15 feet in the air and it's coming back down into the target. Gravity's assisting it in a way. So that gravity is going to pull it down in a straight line. And so you're not going to get that movement that you think out there. Now, unless there's something terrain wise or it's, you know, where the wind is impact, there's always these caveats, but wind at the target has the least effect in terms of moving the bullet. If you, if you want to get really deep into this, uh, I have an iBook. Uh, Apple has the iBook store. And I've done two iBooks. One of them is Wind, Wind Reading Basics for the Tactical Shooter. It's $7.99 in the iBook store. It's interactive, has a little bit of video in it. I like the iBook stuff because it's easy and it's, uh, like I said, interactive. It's not just doing like a straight e-reader, e-book, PDF. I can embed videos. I can embed interactive uh, images that, that give you call outs and different things. So in the Apple iBook store, when reading basics for the precision rifle shooter, it is 45 pages. It has all this information in there, plus extra detail that I'm not going to go into in the podcast. It, it talks about software. It talks about the formulas, the rules of thumbs, the different ways of engaging the wind, 
and everything that I'm talking about here, just 10 times more detail. So if you're interested in following up with this, go to the iBookstore under uh, Frank Galley as the author or, uh, you know, win reading basics for the precision rifle shooter. It's out there. You can get it. All right. Another tool in our win reading toolbox that we want to talk about toolbox toolbox that we want to talk about is Mirage. Okay. Mirage is good because it's affected before external elements like grass, trees, those wind indicators that are blowing around. Mirage will, will move before they do because it's lighter. Okay. To focus on the Mirage like we talked about, we, dial, we, we, we focus in on the target and then we dial back about a quarter turn or so. Depends on your optic, but you're basically bringing the focus back towards you. And that is Mirage is best used with light winds under 10 miles an hour. Over 10 miles an hour, it's really just kind of getting in your way and it just lays over. The only benefit you get out of Mirage in, in heavy winds like that is direction. So if you have something like a head or tail wind, a head or tail wind is never just straight down the pipe. Okay, it doesn't work that way. There's always a left right component to it. And usually with a head or tail wind, it's moving a little bit left, a little bit left, up, now I'm right, up, little left, little, oh, I'm back to the right. So you, it's to me, it's the hardest wind to manage is those head and tail winds. But Mirage is the way you can read that quickly and more accurately to tell the direction because Mirage will move before it. Now, here's the thing. You need boundary layers to see Mirage, okay? You need about a two to four degree difference in boundary layers for Mirage to show up. So for field shooters like here in Colorado, if I go climb the mountains and I'm on one side and there's a valley between me and uh, an opposing ridge or something and I want to shoot a target on that opposite ridge. Well, say the valley floor is 250 feet below me. There's no boundary layer between me and the opposite ridge line. Okay, so I can't read the mirage halfway between. What I can probably do is find something on the opposite ridge and things like rocks versus the ground will give you those boundary layers. The rocks heat up quicker and the mirage will come off nicely. I tell people with certain steel targets out there, the steel will heat up so the mirage will come off the frames and the steel targets really well and you can you can get a nice indication like a point indicator off of these different objects that will heat and cool differently from the ground and the air around it because you need that boundary layer in order to see the mirage it works just like water like i said wind is like water so we're, we're looking at those those waves and it's just like you know when you're in the car and on the highway and you see the mirage coming off the highway we're looking at those waves as a representation of what the how the air is being moved by the wind okay when it comes straight up like a boil you got a no wind situation when it starts moving over to varying degrees, how much it's laying and over, laying over and how fast it appears to be running just like a stream is what, you know, we're looking for. We're looking for those type of indicators within the Mirage. Like I said, light winds that three to five miles an hour. Mirage is your best friend because it's going to move before anything else around us. When the wind's really so light, you know, we're having a hard time gauging the small changes and maybe you're shooting far on a small sub MOA target and that's where Mirage is really going to help you. Now, talking about water, 
And we, we say this quite a bit, that wind is water, wind moves in a very similar way. I want to get into a, a monster factor out there, and that's terrain, okay? Terrain is going to move wind around just like a stream. Now picture this, we got, we got a kind of a nice mountain stream here with a sandy bottom. Everything's moving in a straight line. We got a constant velocity in the speed. There's nothing getting in the water's way. It's just being channeled right down the center of, of our stream. And we have a nice, smooth, sandy bottom. Come around the corner. Now, all of a sudden, we have rocks, sticks, and debris in the stream. And that creates turbulence. That's our white water rapids, right? Well, terrain does the exact same thing to the wind. It creates turbulence. It's going to move the wind in an unnatural way so that if it's normally coming straight across from right to left, if we put some kind of terrain in there, it may be coming across from the right and then heading straight out at us, bouncing off another mountain and coming back to the left and coming down and giving us a zigzag pattern or any other kind of, uh, you know, variation in, in the direction that it's blowing. So you want to get out when you're on the range, especially field type courses, and you want to look at the obstacles that are in the way of the prevailing wind, because that's going to shape the wind. And we need to look at that shape and how it's going to move the bullet. Is it going to move the bullet more towards our target or is it going to move the bullet away from our target? Are we in a bit of a wind shadow where we're losing a lot of the velocity because we're blocked? Or we, you know, on the other side of it, where the wind is being funneled and it's increasing the speed we're at, but the target's out in the open, so it's probably going to be a little bit slower where it's at. So there's all these variations in terms of, you know, how the wind is being manipulated by the terrain around us. That's something else that you have to keep in the back of your mind, that terrain is a monster factor. Mirage is helping us see what the wind's doing. Terrain is actually affecting the wind. So now that we established all that, how do we shoot a target and then manage the wind? Okay. Well, first off, I want you to have a plan. All right. As soon as you get out of your car, as soon as you're set up on the line, I want you to come back off your rifles, leave them down there on the ground, you know, get them all set up and ready to go. But I want you to have a plan when you're engaging targets in the wind and you're trying to learn the wind. I mean, there's a lot of people that'll say, well, just go grab a case of wind and go shoot in the wind. Okay, that'll probably get you somewhere. You know, by the time you're getting done with that case, you might have figured something out. Oh, I need to hold one mil of wind and that's going to hit the target. Okay, but how did you get there? And I'm going to give you a method to give you information and you're going to need a data book. You're going to need to write this down. I'm going to assume you have some kind of wind meter with you and you're not just trying to use the uh, wind indicators out in the field that you have an actual scientific piece of equipment because you are the scientist in the science department. So here's the deal. Stand out there and I want you to read the wind for a solid two minutes. Okay. I want you to look at the gusts. What are the wind gusts doing? Okay, say we got a 10 mile an hour gust. The wind goes up and it spikes. We hear it, right? It hits us pretty hard. We feel it and we're seeing what it's doing around us. It lays a tree branch over pretty hard or whips it, whatever the case may be. What's that number? And let's just assign again, arbitrary numbers here, 10 miles an hour. 
are high. Write it down, 10 mile an hour. Now look at the lull. When it drops down and we don't hear anything and we don't quite feel it because our bodies become acclimatized to it, there's probably still a value there. It doesn't go to zero. I mean, unless the wind's three to five, it may drop to zero. But if you're in that eight to 10 zone, it's probably not going to zero. So let's give our lull, our, our low wind, a value of four miles an hour. Okay, that's our low. Well, now within that two minutes that you're reading it, you saw the high in the gust is 10. You saw the drop off in the lull, that's four. Well, there's going to be one number that keeps appearing, right? It's going to keep coming back to that one number. That's our prevailing wind. That's our average wind. What's that one number? Maybe it's six, six miles an hour, six miles an hour. So now I'm going to write down 10, six, and four. And I'm going to give my rifle's wind call for each one of those values next to it. Maybe it's two mils for 10, 1.2 for six, and a half mil for four. Well, now I have a value established, okay? So when I'm down behind the rifle and, and I'm looking at these indicators, I'm listening, I'm feeling, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to hold. Well, I have a number. Okay, this feels like an average. This feels like an average. That's 1.2. This feels like a gust. That's two mils. Up, oh, it's dropped down right now. I'm getting ready to fire and it just dropped off completely. Well, that's a half mil hold. So you want to be able to have this value established. I have a plan. I have numbers. I have a value, right? I wrote all that stuff down. I think it's the six mile an hour average. I'm holding 1.2. I take the shot. I miss the target. I make the correction because I'm using my fundamentals of marksmanship. I'm lined up behind the target. Everything's good. I make the correction and the next shot hits the target. And I hit the target with three quarter mil. Okay. Well, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to my software and I'm going to fine tune the wind. I'm going to true the wind in my software. So maybe instead of six miles an hour, it says that's equal to a five mile an hour wind. So now I'm going to make the correction to five miles an hour. And that way there, I'm now establishing real world numbers and values to my wind estimate. I think it's this. I tried hitting it with this and I ended up correcting and getting it down to this point. So there's numbers there. And it's not a case of people just throwing rounds, up, missed, up, missed, up, missed. What do I need to do to hit the target? And they walk it in. We're trying to, in a learning situation, is at least put a value before we attempt to walk it in, okay? Anybody can walk anything in. We can, we can keep, you know, like a machine gun. We can just walk, you know, walk the splashes onto the target and we get that. You know, believe the bullet, it works, no big deal. But by having a system, by having a method, by following that system and method, I now have real world numbers that I can work with as well as predicted numbers that I can fine tune to match my real world prediction or, you know, results. So that's something that we, we want to talk about. Here's my, here's my mantra. We're going out, we're going to shoot long range, right? What goes on, what's in my head when I'm getting down behind the rifle? What's in my head is this, and I do this in the classes and you'll see it in some videos and different things like that, but it's W-T-F. When I get out of my car and I'm getting down on the line, I've got everything set up, all I'm thinking is W, 
WTF. Wind, trajectory, the fundamentals of marksmanship. Go figure. Fundamental Franks is talking the fundamentals of marksmanship. I'm putting that mantra in my head. WTF, WTF, right? So I put wind number one because really wind's the biggest variable that I have to solve. If I know the range to the target, I should have a dope established for that range. So my trajectory is a known. My fundamentals of marksmanship are a known. The unknown are the wind or is the wind, right? So that's what I'm trying to solve for. WTF. The wind's the first thing I'm going to manage. I'm going to look at the range and the trajectory I need to hit the target and I'm going to input that. And then I'm going to focus on the fundamentals of marksmanship. I can... I can know what the wind is. I can have the best wind call in the world. Doesn't matter if I slap the trigger. I'm not going to get it, right? If I'm putting a bunch of right hand frank into that trigger press, it's it's not going to happen for me. So I always have to be thinking about those fundamentals of marksmanship. Got a plan. I got a method. I'm sticking to it. I'm fine tuning my software to dope the wind. I know what the real world results are. And I'm going to put that into my computer exactly as if I was truing my elevation. So I don't hear too many people talking about truing the wind. I true the wind. Okay, that's what I'm doing when I'm out there playing with that kind of stuff. It, it you know it beats it beats taking a case of ammo and just throwing it at a target, right? I mean anybody can go do that. Anybody can mess around. What are you actually learning if you're just throwing rounds at a target? You got to write this stuff down. You got to analyze the information. You got to understand the why. That's one question you need to be asking, especially if you're kind of dealing with instructors out there. Why are they doing something that they're doing? Why are they telling me to do this? Does it have a, a value? Does it have a reason? Can they answer why? Right. It's it, it can't be just because the computer says this what to do. Can't be because, you know, this worked for the other guy. Why are we doing it this way? Well, the fundamentals of marksmanship are our foundation to good shooting. We we know what our dope and in, in should be. We should have gone through that effort of doping our rifle and in, in truing it. Well, now we gotta solve the wind and I'm giving you a method to go out there and have numbers and have values assigned to it. I think software is kind of weak when it comes to win, and I've actually seen a lot of problems out here that only can be solved if you, in software-wise, if you're using the multiple win zone feature within that software. I go to a spot in Pike National Forest. It's up at like nine, ten thousand feet above sea level. Uh, the winds in the mountains, you're, you're you're knee deep in the middle of it. There's a valley that cuts through the center, and that'll funnel the wind quicker. And you know the wind will. will split around these different hills and mountains and things and so you'll get conflicting values you got it coming through the valley at eight to ten miles an hour and it's been curved around the left side of the mountain at you know four or five miles an hour and they're smashing into each other on the other end and then out another three six hundred yards i'm shooting another target where those conflicting values are intersecting so it a one number solution doesn't always work. So when I be, you know when I'm in a field type situation, not square range, not lanes, things like that, I definitely consider using the multiple A, Bs, uh, you know, Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Win zones that are you can find in some of the software. 
Cobor has it, Field Firing Solution has it, Ballistics AE has it. So I'm using that stuff more so than a single value. I think the single value works best on a square range versus the field stuff we're shooting. <laughs> Funny story here. So down at Rifles Only, we used to do classes for the combat weathermen. Uh, Air Force has those combat weathermen, geeks with gun guys. Uh, super great dudes, really smart. And, you know, they're, they're doing, they're, they're attached to some tier one groups and they, they deal with the weather. So these guys are so good that way. Uh, if you've ever been to rifles only or not, when you're coming in the driveway, there's a big game fence on the right hand side. And that impact area and that right hand area is King Ranch. And it's a 90,000 acre section parcel, whatever you want to call it of King Ranch. And the only thing out there are cows and aliens. The aliens come in at night, they grab a cow, they mutilate it, eat it up, do whatever they got to do. I've seen it. It's crazy. All kinds of friggin' weird lights out there. But that's the impact area is that King Ranch. And we had one class with these guys and there was some storms around us and the weather was, you know, South Texas summer kind of typical weather. And one of those combat weathermen comes up to the fence and he goes, you see that cloud formation? You see that? You see this? And, and it's like, yeah, I see all you're talking about. He goes, right over here, you know, we're going to have a tornado, a funnel cloud will drop. And sure enough, a funnel cloud tried to form. This guy could see all these things going on and he understood what he was looking at and said, funnel cloud, and a funnel cloud tried to make it. Well, every time they come to class, I would say, Okay, here we are on the tower. There you are, a thousand yards. You see the target down there. What's the wind doing? And the guy would say, blowing. Everyone to a man, you'd ask him what the wind's doing a thousand yards away, and all they'll tell you is blowing. They'll say, hey, I'll put a balloon up. I could do this. I could do that. You know, all these different things. And, you know, I will get you a wind call that's going to be, you know, at max ord and all these these different spots. But I can't tell you what the wind's doing a thousand yards away. All I can tell you is it's blowing. Now we can guess, and like I said, the more experience we get, the more accurate our guesses will become. But it's not one of those situations that it's really realistic to say you're going to look at something that far away, or I'm going to be able to take you out of your life fly you halfway around the world, drop you off on a mountaintop somewhere and say, dope the wind, perfect, dude. It, it, it's, it's a really tough call, especially the farther out you go. So think about that kind of stuff when, when we're looking at doping this wind and understand it's a process and that you want to have a method, you want to have a plan. So you guys picking up what I'm laying down, you getting on this? It, it, it's a lot. I mean, this is just the beginning. This is the basics. You do want to be on the range. You do want to put these things into practice. It's a lot harder to uh, simulate shooting in the wind or using your software to play around with it. You can simulate elevations and you can get drift numbers to a certain degree. But unless you're actually out on the range and you have real, real world feedback, it's not quite as easy as you can say, well, do I want this caliber or this caliber? What's my drop and drift on paper? versus going out and actually shooting it. So that's that's kind of what I'm getting you is that intro foundation to reading the wind. But I really want you, you know, putting this stuff into practice on the range. To calibrate in your census, calibrate in your personal database, you can do that anywhere. Carry a Kestrel with you, walk around your block, use, you know, take the different looks and try to put a value to it and then let the Kestrel, you know, give you that feedback 
So you can begin to see the patterns that we talked about. And patterns play a big part of what we're doing. When, when we go into the BC method, you'll be able to see how patterns worked. And, and you know, I'll get into formulas and, and rules of thumbs and patterns in the next one when I'm talking when. But we're, we're basically trying to, you know, identify these patterns. In order to do that, you got to write this stuff down. You got to have and, and do your homework. So here's my charge to you if you're going to go out and put this into practice, okay? I want you when you show up on the range to do everything like I talked about, look at what's going on, see, feel, and hear what the wind's happening, get your prediction out there, verify it with the Kestrel, and then when you're setting up on the shot, I want you to take three shots only. Just like what we're talking about in the ELR stuff and, and what we're doing there. I want you to take the three shots only, like we talked about. And I want you to use the technique to determine what's going on. Then take your real world numbers and write that stuff down. Because I want you to be able to go back and reference it and see what's going on and get it to work. So every time you show up on the range, your first three shots are mine. Then after that, you could do whatever the heck you want. Have a good time. Throw rounds at anything. Put 100 rounds until you get a hit. Doesn't matter. But your first three shots, follow the method. Have a plan. Write it down. Note the results. And so you can go back and look. If you do this every single time and if you hit it, if you do it at 400 yards the first time and you hit all three, go to six. If you do it at six the next time and you hit all three, go to eight. If you go to eight and you hit all three, go to a thousand. Okay. You, what you're looking to do is push your limits out until you start missing and then see what's going on and find that middle ground. Okay. 800 yards, I keep missing. You know, the second shot or the first shot or whatever, whatever the case may be. So, if you have this information, if you follow the plan, if you write it down, if you have a method, you'll have a way of going back and correcting those mistakes because you'll have data and it's not just something you were winging it and you know two days later you can't remember what the heck you did or what the heck you held. If you follow the method, if you write it down, if you go and add in your real world results to it and compare the two, patterns will appear. And that's what we're looking for is those patterns. So the first three are mine. After that, do what you want. All right. So thanks for listening to The Everyday Sniper. You got Frank here. Like I said, um, I really appreciate the questions. If you have a specific technical question for your thing, that's fine to email them to us or to PM them uh, to us. But if you have a broad question or result, post them out publicly. Let everybody see because there's probably other people who have the exact same question as you do. So if you put it out there public-wise, you'll probably be able to help somebody else. But uh, Mike's been doing a great job answering the social media questions, and we're getting a lot of them, and, and I really, really, truly appreciate that. Uh, the, re the, the response has been fantastic. Well, like I said, this is my fourth try with this dang podcast again, and it just seems to be kicking my ass. Uh, I don't know, like half my head isn't really working, kind of stuffed up. You probably can hear it a little bit. But uh, I'm, I'm having a bit of a struggle with it. But I hope you guys enjoy these lessons. We'll talk more. We're going to, as I said, uh, in terms of wind, wind is huge. Software is huge. Some of these questions and topics that we're, we're discussing are big. And, and so there'll be more than one podcast. But if you want me to follow up, if you want some more information, you want me to clarify uh, the Everyday Sniper on Facebook, the Everyday Sniper on Sniper's Hide Forum, 
You got our emails and our contact. If you have that retail question, you get a hold of Mike over at Mile High, call up, ask for Mike, and he can answer those more specific questions, costs, availability, options, things like that. I I don't have a concept. I don't know the SKUs. I don't know the stuff. You know, people ask me, oh, what model is that? I don't know. They just gave me this and, you know, I don't know the numbers. I, I pay very little attention to that finite detail. You may not realize a lot of this that I'm doing is is without reference, you know? So if I start adding in skews or certain numbers, I'm going to lose the technical side of things. I only can hold so much crap in my head. And, you know, if, if I put a skew in, a, a wind call's falling out. So um, that's what you're going to ask Mike for, for that kind of stuff. But definitely it's been great. Uh, Everyday Sniper Podcast, I, I really appreciate it. Keep sharing it. Keep downloading it. Keep moving it around the block, and and hopefully we'll get more people involved, and it'll just make this a richer experience for everybody. Thanks again. Um, you know, Sniper Side Forums, man, it's doing great. We're loving it. I'm on there uh, a lot more than I used to be, so if you have a question for me, you could definitely reach out on the forums, and I'll answer it for you. All right, have a good day, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.